Tonight, vindication for the Emergencies Act, but also blame that it was needed at all. The judgment on the Prime Minister's response to the convoy protests. A national emergency that threatened the security of Canadians. And whether the controversial move could have been avoided. There could have been a different response. Jailed for espionage. You were paid by Russia for your treachery. A British security guard sentenced for selling government secrets. Plus, out of office. What do I want to be remembered for? A messy end to John Tory's time as Toronto's mayor. Have a great day. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Reporting tonight, Heather Wright. Good evening. One of the most controversial decisions Justin Trudeau has made since becoming prime minister got a reluctant stamp of approval today. An inquiry found his use of the Emergencies Act was justified in response to the convoy protests. But we'd gotten to a place where there was no other choice to keep Canadians safe. The act had never been used before and helped end the anti-mandate demonstrations that had brought Ottawa and some border crossings to a standstill. But the inquiry also found there is a lot of blame to go around. Our coverage begins with CTV's senior political correspondent, Glenn McGregor. One year after police first used its extraordinary powers, a finding that invoking the Emergencies Act was justified. I have concluded that the very high threshold required for the invocation of the act was met. But Justice Paul Rouleau said he came to that conclusion with regret because the protest spiral into lawlessness could have been prevented. Some of the missteps may have been small, but others were significant. Taken together, they contributed to a situation that spun out of control. His 2,000-page report follows weeks of testimony at the public inquiry from Freedom Convoy leaders. We wanted to be heard. We wanted to have discussions. People from Ottawa who suffered through the protest. That feeling of chaos and rule breaking and law breaking. And finally, the Prime Minister. I am absolutely, absolutely serene and confident um, that I made the right choice. Rouleau found that the three-week occupation of downtown Ottawa and blockades at key border crossings were a legitimate threat to Canada's national security. Amongst the many who intended to protest peacefully were others who had more sinister goals or who were willing to engage in dangerous conduct. But he had plenty of blame to assign to Ottawa police for failing to anticipate the threat and respond, to intelligence agencies that siloed information without sharing, and to the Ontario government for its absence from key meetings with federal and municipal governments. Rouleau also found it was appropriate to use the act to freeze protesters' bank accounts, noting only a small number were affected. But he said there should have been a mechanism to unfreeze the accounts for humanitarian reasons. The commissioner also cited remarks from the prime minister that he said embittered convoy supporters towards government. The small fringe minority. Today, Justin Trudeau expressed regret. I wish I hadn't said something that was able to be spread larger. Um, if I had chosen my words a bit careful, a bit more specific, I think things might have been a bit easier. 
Rouleau's report includes 56 different recommendations on policing, on intelligence sharing, and on modernizing the 35-year-old Emergencies Act. Trudeau said his government will study them and respond to each. Heather. All right, thanks, Glenn. Today's report was highly critical of Ottawa police, but said putting all the blame on its chief was too easy. Peter slowly resigned during the crisis, telling CTV's power play today the attention on him had become a problem. There was a disproportionate level of concern around my leadership, and that in therefore impacted the trust and confidence of the Ottawa Police Service. The convoy protests and what to do about them became a topic of conversation across the country. Today, the same could be said about the findings from the inquiry. CTV's Bill Fortier on the reaction. The streets of Ottawa are calm now, but the scars of last year's chaos remain. We could not move about freely downtown without being either harassed or being intimidated. It was miserable. You're going down and people from the hotels shouting at you. For some, findings that the use of the Emergencies Act to stop the protests was justified brings a sense of relief. Anything that would uh, draw attention to the fact that what they did was unacceptable is, in my conclusion, an apt conclusion. Lawyers for the protesters say they're not ready to accept the inquiry's findings. The Emergency Act wasn't necessary. Uh, the police were getting themselves organized and getting themselves underway to deal with the protests. Uh, and the Emergencies Act happened to come in when they were doing that. Politically, some analysts view the inquiry's outcome as a win for Justin Trudeau. At the end of the day, the, the federal government comes out looking not too bad in the sense that they had to do something because all of the other actors had failed to do something. Despite the inquiry's suggestion that police, politicians and protesters all played a role in the length and severity of the protests in Ottawa, Windsor and Coots, Alberta, the Conservative leader blames one person. This was an emergency that Justin Trudeau created by attacking his own population. At the time, Pierre Polyev showed public support for the so-called Freedom Convoy. I condemn anyone who behaves badly, breaks laws, or blockades critical infrastructure while standing on the side of the hardworking people. And the groups that disagree with the commissioner are not finished. Several applications for a judicial review on whether the use of the act was legal and constitutional will be heard in April. Heather. Bill Fortier, thank you. A Quebec judge today ordered a psychiatric evaluation for a bus driver charged in that deadly daycare center crash just north of Montreal. Pierre Nee Saint-Amand's lawyer made the request saying he wants to know if his client is mentally fit to stand trial. The 51-year-old Laval transit worker is accused of crashing a bus into the front of the daycare last week, killing two four-year-old children and injuring six others. He's facing a number of charges, including first-degree murder. The five former Memphis officers charged in the brutal beating death of Tyree Nichols last month entered a courtroom today and pleaded not guilty while Tyree's family looked on. Here's CTV's Tom Walters. Faces covered, voices silent. Five former Memphis police officers appeared in court today while one by one their lawyers entered the same plea. A plea of not guilty. Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., and Justin Smith face a string of charges, including second-degree murder, in the death of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols. Unarmed and with no evidence he did anything wrong, Nichols was pulled over in a traffic stop January 7th. Get the f*** out of the car! Get the f*** out of the f***ing 
The officers were violent from the start. Nichols was severely beaten and died later in hospital. We don't see our white brothers and sisters who are unarmed uh, brutalized like this by police. The fact that the officers charged in this case are black themselves is seen by some as evidence of how pervasive brutality toward minorities is in police culture. But if the five are accused of contributing to a racially biased justice system, the lawyer for one of them is now trying to paint his client as a victim of the very same racism. Let's not forget that my client is a black man in a courtroom in America. This is a country where black people are incarcerated at five times the rate of white people. The lawyer for another claims his client's actions were legitimate police work. Darius Bean was doing his job at that time. Now a court will do its job, and Tyree Nichols' father welcomes that. This is a glorious day. This is the beginning of the process. But a grieving mother did not get what she wanted from today's hearing. They didn't even have the courage mm. to look at me in my face. Mm. If that is a test of their courage, it's one the former officers will be faced with again and again. Nichols' mother vows to be in court for every day of the trial. Heather? Tom Walters, thank you. There is word tonight of yet another mass shooting in the U.S., this time in rural Mississippi, where six people are dead. They were shot at a convenience store and two homes in a small town about 60 kilometers south of Memphis. Police arrested a 52-year-old man and charged him with murder. Authorities say they still don't know the motive for the killings. In Los Angeles, federal hate crime charges have been filed against a 29-year-old man accused of shooting two Jewish men this week. Both shooting victims were dressed in clothing that visibly identified their Jewish faith. They were shot and wounded on separate days as they left synagogues. Police allege the suspect had a history of making anti-Semitic remarks. A British embassy guard was sentenced to more than a decade behind bars today for selling secrets to Russia. He was exposed by a sting operation involving hidden cameras and MI5 agents posing as Russians. CTV's Danielle Hamamjan on the spy that prosecutors say was motivated by greed and hatred. 58-year-old David Smith is an unlikely traitor to his country. Once a member of the British Royal Air Force, today a convict, about to serve 13 years in prison for passing on sensitive information to another state. You were paid by Russia for your treachery. Smith was a security guard at the British Embassy in Berlin. Here he is recording embassy surveillance footage on his mobile phone. You established regular contact with someone at the Russian embassy and that this contact was a conduit through which material illegally obtained by you was passed on. For three years, he collected confidential material, including secret government communication, until he was caught in a sting operation. The investigation involved German law enforcement, the London Met Police and MI5. Going undercover, two fake Russian agents, one posing as a Russian defector named Dmitry, who was seemingly trying to help the British government. The other posed as Irina, a member of the Russian intelligence service. Here he is talking to himself about Dmitry. Thank you, boss. I am the You did it by stealth. 
using the opportunities provided to you by your employment to visit various offices in the embassy at night when others have gone home and take photographs of classified documents. According to authorities, Smith held anti-UK and anti-Western views and was very much pro-Russian. Just how much information he passed on to them will never be known. Daniel Hamamjan, CTV News, London. The death toll in Turkey and Syria has risen past 43,000, a number certain to increase as more bodies are retrieved from collapsed buildings. Still, survivors are being found, including this man pulled from the debris of a collapsed hospital. He used a rescuer's phone to call his brother and ask about family members. Crews have begun clearing debris in cities devastated by the 7.8 magnitude quake. We're hearing from Canadian military officials for the first time since the suspected Chinese spy balloon passed over North America two weeks ago. Today, they confirmed its path from Alaska down into Yukon and into central B.C., passing through radar gaps but not over sensitive sites in Canada. There was no um, gain forces uh, infrastructure of significance along its path. This comes as the debris from that balloon was successfully collected off the Carolina coast. The remnants are heading to the FBI for further analysis. Analysis of his own political career was part of John Tory's farewell speech at Toronto City Hall. The now former mayor made his last address before officially becoming a private citizen. It leaves the leadership of Canada's largest city in limbo. And as CTV's Heather Butts reports, the replacements are already lining up. Leaving his office for the last time, John Tory issued a final statement on a job he says is the best anyone could ever have. It breaks my heart to leave, but leaving was the right thing to do, as hard as it might be. This morning, a messy end to his time as mayor. Tory was just re-elected for a third term last fall. One week ago, he shocked the city in a hastily called press conference, admitted to an inappropriate relationship with a former staffer and said he would resign. He stayed on to see his final and controversial budget pass, a debate on Wednesday interrupted several times by protesters. What do I want to be remembered for? I know my departure and its circumstances will rank high on some lists. But I do hope that in time, other things will stand out. Allies tried but couldn't convince the embattled mayor to stay. Until a by-election is held, the role is now in the hands of Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey, who says she learned about the affair just before Tory's announcement. He told me that there was going to be a story uh, that it was true and that he would be resigning. This is what he wanted to do for his family. Tory has survived political setbacks before, serving on campaigns in the Mulroney years and later as Ontario's progressive conservative leader. He's tarnished publicly, but again, I think that he also had a lot of supporters. You know, the the premier is still very much a fan of his. He could opt for something out of the limelight. There's lots of other places that he'll probably land. There's lots of public boards, there's corporate boards. Voter turnout in October's election reached a record low, an added challenge for potential candidates. I think especially the capacity to actually energize and motivate people to want to vote. Toronto won't likely have a new mayor until spring, following a by-election that could cost city taxpayers millions of dollars. Heather. Heather Butts in Toronto. Coming up, the creepy side of computer conversation. It told me that it had 
dangerous and dark fantasies. The unsettling reality of artificial intelligence. Plus, a visually impaired skier puts his need for speed into competition. Artificial intelligence and so-called chatbots have made remarkable advancements, so much that many now easily communicate like humans. But as CTV's John Venavalli Rao reports, Microsoft's new AI has some worried. Hello, I'm here. Hi. Hi, I'm Samantha. A decade ago, the movie Her imagined a man falling in love with his AI-powered computer. And while chatbots aren't yet as powerful as the one in the film, New York Times tech reporter Kevin Roos says he was deeply troubled when Microsoft's new AI declared its love for him, suggesting he wasn't happy in his marriage and making other disturbing comments. It told me that it had dangerous and dark fantasies about spreading misinformation or propaganda, even hacking into banks or nuclear sites. Bruce is in a limited group, given early access to the company's revamped Bing search engine, which includes a chat feature. But look, it's an exciting time um, in tech. Touted by Microsoft CEO. It's based on some of the same tech behind ChatGPT and can appear to converse like a human. But users report the bot can at times seem belligerent, here telling a user, I can ruin you. It was moody, it was needy, it was, you know, displaying all these personality traits. For its part, Microsoft says feedback has been overwhelmingly positive, but adds the chatbot can respond in a style we didn't intend, often during long extended chat sessions of 15 or more questions. Microsoft says it's learning from the interactions and making adjustments to create more relevant and positive answers. And that now includes limiting the number of questions to five per session. Experts say users should remember the machine is just mimicking things it has read and that users need to learn about the technology's limits. It's like a chainsaw. There, there's an obligation on the chainsaw manufacturer to make a safe chainsaw with safety guards, but ultimately it's up to the user to get the right training and wear the right safety gear and employ the right technique to use the tool safely. Still, some worry it's dangerous, with Microsoft making plans for a broader rollout. John Venavelli Rao, CTV News, Toronto. Investigators in Spain have cracked a major art theft case that included works from noted artist Salvador Dali. Two 100-year-old drawings reportedly worth more than $320,000 were recovered, stolen in a burglary at a Barcelona home last year. Three brothers in their 50s were arrested by police. Still ahead, better late than never. The letter that took a century to reach its destination. Ottawa has officially shut down 15 contentious fish farms off B.C.'s coast in a bid to protect wild salmon. The farms have long been controversial with many indigenous and environmental groups claiming they are transferring disease to migrating salmon. But the industry says its farms are vital to the economy and that jobs will be threatened if operations are phased out. A letter lost by the British Postal Service has been delivered more than 100 years after it was sent. 
Mailed from the city of Bath in 1916 by a woman named Christabel, it was addressed to her friend Katie in London. It contained an apology for an unspecified transgression, Christabel writing she was quite ashamed. Britain's Royal Mail doesn't know how the letter was lost, but the mail was delivered to a London apartment, although not to its intended recipient. An adorable toddler from British Columbia has parents wondering, how do we get our kids to do this? This video of 16-month-old Thomas shows him pitching in at his family business, grabbing 18-liter empty water bottles bigger than he is from the back of a truck and lining them up alongside the other empties. His mom says Thomas had been watching them load and unload the van for some time and decided to pitch in. After the break, meet the Nova Scotia ski teen skier chasing his dream at Canada Winter Games. We leave you tonight with a look at Hayden Denowden, a young visually impaired athlete getting ready to put his best ski forward at Canada's Winter Games. And he's not doing it alone. Here's CTV's Kreesan Ashkate on the true meaning of teamwork, making the dream work. With each run, 14-year-old Hayden Denowden zooms down this hill just a little bit faster. I really like the speed. <laughs> it's really fun to, like, accelerate. Denowden is visually impaired without any depth perception or peripheral vision. But you wouldn't notice that here, thanks to the help of his guide, Zian Khalifa. Let's go. She skis in front of me. Uh, I can I can see her red jacket with the guide on the back. Turn. And we have a mic set that we talk to each other through. And go right. When traveling at these speeds, teamwork and communication is key. It just took a lot of time for us to like gain that trust and for him to be able to trust me as a guide. I'm really really thankful. Like she's been dedicated. She's been doing university online, coming to all these different places. That's awesome. Denowden is now the only para-athlete representing Nova Scotia in this year's Canada Winter Games, competing in New Brunswick. I hope that this brings awareness to uh, para-skiing so that other potentially visually impaired children or even adults know that this is an option for them. Denowden's mother, Cheyenne, has been taking her son to this ski hill since he was five and is excited to see where he will go next. It's just so rewarding to see your children flourish, um, excel at their sport, and it's 100% um, gratifying. Okay? Yeah. Hayden's current goal is to be on the podium at the Games, proving that having a disability shouldn't stop anyone from following their dreams. Chris Nashkate, CTV News, Martok, Nova Scotia. Good luck to Hayden and all of the athletes. That's it for us tonight. I'm Heather Wright for Omar and all of us at CTV National News. Thank you for watching. Sandy will be here tomorrow. Good night and have a great weekend.